Beside you, there is none else. And Lord, as we open uh, this uh, series today on the Spirit, we ask, Lord, that your Spirit, in fact, would be here, enabling me to say things in the way that most honors you, and enabling your people to hear the things that they need to hear, not just to learn something new to file away in their encyclopedic brain, but, Father, that uh, they would begin to implement, to embody, to uh, uh, put those things, integrate them into their lives. Father, we want to be people who are led by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit and enabled by your Spirit. So we come today to pray that your Spirit will do what he has always done, to uh, uh, open our hearts and our minds and to pour out your love in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we are uh, uh, looking at the storyline. And just again, a quick review. God created this world as a stage on which he is going to uh, show his love. He does that uh, ultimately in Christ. He created Adam and Eve, established a covenant with them. They had the responsibility to maintain the garden and to, to develop the rest of the earth to be like that. They failed. And then along comes Noah. Noah fails. Uh, the uh, plot thickens after the flood. And then when everything seems the darkest, uh, the Tower of Babel and there's no hope, God raises up a man from Ur the Chaldees by the name of Abram. And we have the Abrahamic covenant, land and seed and blessing. We're going to see how some of that works out today. 430 years later, there is uh, Moses. And God raises up Moses, and he leads them out of Egypt, establishes the Mosaic Covenant in the New Testament. Most of the time where you see the word, the law, it's in reference to the Mosaic Covenant. And then we looked at David's greater son, uh, uh, the promised seed, uh, pointing forward, 2 Samuel 7, is the promise made to Abraham is reaffirmed to David, and it's pointing forward to David's son, Jesus Christ. And then we took a time to look at what we call the great divorce. It's just a time of failure and darkness, and they're carried into captivity into Assyria and then into Babylon, and then we have the 400 silent years. And then last time we talked about the Messiah arrives, the angels, the star, all the various things to depict. Again, God's dramatic. He doesn't just slip him in, but he sends him with all of these outward signs. Jesus Christ comes. The two great promises, the two great gifts of God are a Savior that's going to deal with our sin and a Spirit that's going to enable us to integrate that, that life into our life. So that's what we're going to look at today. Jesus, in his death, with his blood, ratified a new covenant. The Spirit of God, when we come to Acts 2, the Spirit of God is now going to unfold that. It's going to become a reality. You remember, in the Old Testament, it was a constant series of failures. And you remember the promise that he made in Ezekiel 36? I'm going to put a new spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways. What's the difference? It's going to be the Spirit of God. 
the Spirit of God was present in the Old Testament, but not in the same sense it is now. Again, lots of interesting things to talk about there, but we hope that'll make sense. Then next week, we're going to bring this to a conclusion, uh, the final curtain, uh, not just for the class, but we're looking at, at ultimately the consummation, heaven and earth emerge. And I do want to say this, I'm going to send out an email this week, uh, and uh, I want to ask your feedback from the class. I did this when we did the Trinity thing at the end. I'd like to get your honest feedback. I'm not looking for people to say, oh, that was good, that was fine. But uh, I'm going to give you a number of questions, and I'd love for you to respond to that. That will help me, and I think help the class as we go ahead. What can be made better? How can we do this uh, more productively? What didn't you understand? So uh, I'm going to be sending out, I'll also have papers. I'll have it printed out next week so that if somebody didn't get the email, you could do that. But that will really help me. So if you would take, it'll take you five minutes maybe to do that. Uh, it would help me and, and hopefully it will help others uh, as we move ahead. Okay, uh, I want to take a, a couple of minutes. We could take literally a year on this slide, on the next few slides, and that is relating the Old Testament and the New Testament. You remember the book of Acts? It had a big issue over whether you had to observe the kosher food laws and whether you had to get circumcised and all of the Old Testament laws, the, 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 the festivals, and you had the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 where they had to address that and sort that out. And so one of the, the, the biggest controversies today is how do these two relate? And there are essentially three answers to that, and we're going to look at that. I don't know if you can see that very well. Any of you remember uh, the big charts they had across the uh, uh, front of the church on rightly dividing the truth? Uh, and uh, I can still remember them. They were 40, 50 feet long, all the way across the front, and, uh, uh, and it sets out there are three various views. Dispensational theology covenant theology and new covenant theology, some call it progressive covenantalism. Uh, again, each one of those things are huge, but, but I've had a few people ask me, and I want to take just a minute to quickly explain that, okay? And then we'll follow up with, with questions at a later time. But first, I want to talk about dispensational theology. I know there are a number of people at, uh, uh, at faith community that grew up, I grew up under dispensational theology. Dispensational theology essentially says the church and Israel always remain two distinct people. They're never blended together. It emphasizes the discontinuity. And so when you go to Romans 9, 10, and 11, now we need a, you know, a few months to go through Romans 9, 10, and 11, uh, uh, they're going to see the olive tree you know, with the people of God, and they're going to see that quite differently. And for them, the land is central. You know, and that's why you'll see people talking about, well, they're still gathering material to rebuild the temple from Ezekiel 40 through 48 and so forth. This is not as prominent as it once was. The school closely associated with this has been Dallas Seminary. And I put up this slide quickly because when I was in seminary, it was the classic position. Uh, uh, Chafer and Darby and Schofield. Uh, any of you start out with a Schofield Bible? I mean, when, when I was in church, if you didn't have a Schofield Bible, you didn't count. You know, you were you're kind of suspect. 
You know, and, and that did a lot to shape the thinking of people. And then it kind of modified, it was revised a bit by Walvert and Ryrie, guys, uh, seminary professors at, at Dallas. And then more recently, they, uh, it's called a progressive view of that Blazing Bach and, and Saucy and others. And so uh, what's encouraging to me is rather than, than the positions moving farther apart, they're really moving closer together. You even notice the word progressive, progressive covenantalism, progressive discipline. At least it suggests we're not moving away, we're moving together. And so, and I, I want to suggest again, if you're a dispensationalist, covenant theologian, new covenant, it's not like you're either a Christian or you're not. These are not issues that, that divide and identify people who are not Christians. It's just simply how we're understanding the flow of redemptive history. Okay, let's take a minute and talk about covenant theology. We've been talking a lot about covenants, but covenant theology is an understanding of how this fits together. Michael Horton, I put his book up there, Introducing Covenant Theology. I really like Michael Horton. He's got a lot of good things. I've read a lot of his stuff. This is very helpful. I don't accept his view. I think he's wrong, but it's a good explanation of that. And so in covenant theology, uh, covenant is central to God's interaction with man. Now, that's certainly true of my position as well. Covenant is central to everything that we do. But when they're talking about covenant, they're talking about the covenant of redemption, the covenant of works, the covenant of grace. Now, if you say, well, show me a Bible verse for each of those, there aren't any. These aren't uh, biblical covenants like the covenant made with Abraham, the covenant made with Moses. These are more conceptual things. The covenant of redemption goes back to the covenant that the Father made with the Son to redeem the world. Uh, the covenant of works is the covenant he made with Adam. If you do this, I'm going to bless you. And then the covenant of grace is because he failed, I'm going to do something for you. So there's lots of good things. And again, I want to say it's not like one is right and one is wrong. Many of them share commonalities here, but there are distinctives. This is more where I fall in New Covenant theology. When I was in seminary, there was really, uh, that was 50 years ago plus, uh, there was dispensationalism and covenant theology. Those were the two choices. And I went out of seminary saying, I don't fit in either of those, you know. So uh, I grew up, I knew them both. I grew up in dispensationalism. I went to a seminary that was uh, more covenant theology. And, and it's been encouraging through the years to see this develop. And so in that view, the church and Israel are the same people of God. That's the olive tree. You know, that's the people of God from Romans 9, 10, and 11. And, and it emphasizes uh, uh, continuity, you know, that, that the people of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament are really the same. The church is in the Old Testament, the church is in the same church, and at the center where dispensationalism, it's the land, in covenant theology, it's the seed, you know, believers and their seed. Uh, the, the passage in Acts, repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you're going to receive life. The promises to you and to your seed. So that becomes central. Now, where I fit is more in a new covenant perspective. And, and let me just say a couple of things about this. Uh, uh, again, I apologize that we're not developing this more but that would take months to do that. But I want to at least give you a high-level view. 
New covenant theology is sometimes called progressive covenantalism. I don't like progressive covenantalism as a name because of our political theory. You know, when you talk about progressive today, I say, you know, let's talk about that. But anyhow, the point of that is that, that God doesn't give us all the truth at one time it's progressively unfolded. You know, so as we go through the Bible, we see more and more of this being unfolded. And so it's a good term. It's just, you know the difference between the denotation and the connotation of a word? Denotation says what it really means. Good denotation. Connotation is, how does it feel? That doesn't feel always good to me. You know, so some people don't like that. So, and, and in this view, the church typologically corresponds to Israel. So it's not the same thing, but they're very closely connected. You know, typology is foundational. We talked about that at the very beginning. And I think it balances the continuity-discontinuity. It recognizes there's something that all fits together, but recognizes there's some distinction. And so Israel's future, I'll probably get everybody mad next week because none of you are going to agree with the final curtain and how we present this. And, and guess what? Nobody knows, finally, you know, uh, when that day comes and we see it unfold, we're going to say, God did it just right. I'm glad he didn't take my view and put it in. What he did was better. So we're going to have to wait to see who's right at the end. But anyhow, Israel's future merges with the church and the consummation of the new covenant. Now, I bring this up because the, the movement from old to new is so significant. It is a paradigm shift. You know, it is a radical movement from one view to a, a new view. That's why, you know, we, we take the Lord's table and say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, the promise of the new covenant, I want to remind you of this, Jeremiah 31. I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the covenant that I made, talking about the Mosaic covenant. I'm going to put my law in their hearts. And you remember what Ezekiel 36 said? I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways. What, what's the history of Israel? Failure, failure, success, failure, 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 little success, failure, failure. It's mostly failure. And God says, I'm done with this. We're going to do something new, and not only is Christ going to come and actually take away your sin, you remember in the Old Testament, what did they do? Yom Kippur. What's Yom Kippur? The Day of Atonement. You know what Kippur means? To cover over. The sins weren't removed. It's like you pick up the rug, you swoop the dirt under there and put it back down. It's still there, but you can't see it. When Jesus came, what did he do? Did he sweep the things under the rug? No, he remitted them. He removed them. And so that's what happens. Our sins are removed, but not only that, he's going to cause us to walk in his ways. How? He's going to put the Spirit of God inside us and enable us to do what we could never do on our own. So when we think of New Covenant, we want to think about Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. Well, you want to take some time to live in those passages of Scripture. They are powerful. A few weeks ago, we had a, a guest preacher, and uh, he preached on Matthew 15, 17 through 20. 
again, this is a two-month series to go through Matthew uh, 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 5, but he says, do not think that I came to destroy or abrogate the law and the promises. Again, he's not talking about Ten Commandments, he's talking about Old Testament Scripture. Law and promise, I mean the, the law and the prophets are the Old Testament Scripture. I didn't come to abolish them. It's not like Jesus said, you know what? All that stuff they did in the Old was a waste. They were wrong. We're going to do it right. No, all of those things, it's like as a childhood rules that you had. When you grow to adulthood, nobody's going to make you eat broccoli. You know, you're going to eat it all on your own, you know, because you want to. And so that's really what we have. It's not somehow antithetical. One is fighting the other. It's a Galatians says in the Old Testament they were under age. And now with the New Testament, we've come of age. And so guess what? you got some freedom, but you got some responsibilities. Now as an adult, nobody's going to put food on your plate. You know, you got to go earn, you know, the money to put the food on your plate so you can eat what you want, but now you have to provide it. Things change. That's what's happening. And if you miss that, you're not going to appreciate what God did. I look at this and say, how amazing. You know, what a magnificent uh, a drama to see how all of these things, now they just explode. It's like planting the uh, tulip bulb. I love tulips. In fact, my wife has always wanted to go to the Netherlands when the tulips are in bloom and see, you know, just those acres of tulips. And you put it in the ground and, and it suddenly, poof, it pops out. And the red and the yellow and, you know, the various colors, you know, it, it, it's not like you put a bulb in and then something else happens. Everything that's in the bulb you know, is there and it opens up. That's what typology is all about. That's what God's doing. So he's laying this foundation and what happens in Christ is they just open up. He's not going to abolish the old. He's going to fulfill it. You know, he's not breaking it. He's keeping it and he's going to reshape law into a new covenant context. It's not that, well, that doesn't exist anymore. It's going to be different. So, uh, I can't tell you how important Matthew 5, 17 through 20 is. That's the most important passage in the New Testament to help us understand how do we move from the old to the new. Well, Paul is the apostle of the new covenant. Uh, again, we've we got a three-month series here, and uh, we're going to do it in uh, uh, five minutes or less. 2 Corinthians 2 and 3. I love 2 Corinthians 2. Uh, there's a pastor that was served with me in South Carolina that was about ready to quit ministry. In fact, Gretchen listens a lot to him. His name is Brad Bigney. He came to my office one day and said, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm cooked. Stick a fork in me. You know, I'm, I'm done with this. And I said, go to 2 Corinthians 2 and 3. You know, and that's the passage where it says, God made us ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. And then he goes on to describe that. And I'll tell you this, he now pastors a church of 1,000, 1,500 people. Uh, and, it, and, and I got a note from him a few years ago saying, I just want you to know 2 Corinthians 2 and 3. Uh, is the foundation that saved me from throwing in the towel. Man, don't miss that. How great that section is. And that ends with a section uh, that uh, uh, talks about how the, the Spirit is poured out, and, and we just reflect that and refract the glory of God coming in. Uh, Romans 7. 
we serve in new ways of the Spirit. Uh, again, we don't have time to go through the passages, but, but you have the notes if you want them. Go back and look at that. And he gives the picture of a woman married to a man. When the man dies, she's free to marry somebody else and says, okay, once you were married to the Mosaic Covenant, now you're free to uh, uh, serve in the new way of the Spirit. That's the language. We need to understand how the Spirit fits in. Galatians, Galatians 3 and 4. In fact, Tim and I yesterday had some time together, and we walked through this. We were held prisoners of the law until faith came. You say, well, that sounds really negative. Well, it's because the movement from childish you know, to uh, adulthood and the responsibility that comes. And he talks about now that faith has come, he's not talking about personal faith in Christ, he's talking about Christ as the object of faith. Now it's clear, now we're not under the schoolmaster any longer. Ephesians 2, uh, he created two men, you know, one new man out of the two, Jew and Gentile. He's talking about that, and he shows how these are blended together, and they become now one new man. There is one people of God, you know, under Jesus Christ. Every one of those passages deserves a week of your time, prayer, reflection. Uh, great passages. I wish we could do more, but we got some more great stuff to go through. If we stay there, we're going to miss this. The New Covenant in Hebrews. I can't tell you how much I love the book of Hebrews. Uh, when I go through that, it's just like, uh, how, how would I describe it? Uh, it? It's like blackberry cobbler with a big scoop of vanilla ice cream on top that just comes out of the oven. That's what Hebrews is to me. Uh, you know, and, and I don't want to see a picture of your you know, blackberry cobbler with ice cream. I want it in my dish, I want it in my spoon, I want to taste it, I want to, I want to enjoy it all. That's what Hebrews is to me. And again, that's another year to go through the book of Hebrews. So we got a lot of stuff lining up we got to get through. But Hebrews 7.12, a change of the law. You know, from one to the other, it's not like, hey, that was bad. It was like it was preparatory. And now we're going from uh, being engaged to being married. I mean, there are some differences there. Who wants to go back to engagement? Well, sometimes I think if I'd have known how much it cost me, maybe I would think that. No, uh, I, it, it hasn't. I'm, I'm saying that facetiously. Don't tell my wife I even suggested that. Uh, but the fact is, there's a difference that comes with the change. That's what's happening from the old to the new. It's not like engagement is with one person and you marry somebody else. No, the engagement, the, the relationship developing, and it blossoms into marriage and children and grandchildren and all the rest of that. Acts, uh, uh, Hebrews 8, 7 through 13, what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. All of the mosaic rituals and festivals and so forth he's talking about. I love uh, 10, 19 through 25, a new and living way that he's opened for us through the veil. That is his flesh. Therefore, and he goes on to exhort us, how good is that? You know, and so when we look at this, rather than being frustrated, we ought to say, man, Blackberry cobbler with two scoops of ice cream on it, hot out of the oven. That's what we've got. That's what Jesus came to do and came to accomplish. The church 
becomes the people of God. That's the olive tree. Pentecost is foundational. Now, we have to go uh, through the Gospel of John because Jesus promises the Spirit over and over. Remember John the Baptist says, I'm baptizing with water, but one is going to come. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and power. I love in John 7 where on the feast he says, you know, uh, out of your heart are going to flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit because the Spirit was not yet given because Christ hadn't yet died. You know, he comes to 14 and 15. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to come to you. Comes to John 17. I'm going to leave. I'm going to send the Spirit. That's going to be better for you. And he's going to teach you all of the things that you need to know. And then uh, when you come to Acts chapter Chapter 2, I love John's gospel and how he prepares us. And then we come to Acts chapter 2. And uh, uh, again, here's another three or four weeks to go through Acts 2. You know, they all come together at the feast, and there are people from all over. This is like New York City. Uh, when when we lived in outside of New York City in Queens, one part in Queens, they spoke 150 different languages. You talk about a melting pot from all over. That's the way it was in the day of Pentecost. And so when Peter got up to preach and the others preached, everyone heard what they were saying in their own language. Not only that, there was a rushing mighty wind. I mean, I'd love to see a video of that, wouldn't you? The rushing mighty wind, the tongues of fire, you know, they were sitting on, and then they began to speak, and they said, oh, Peter, you're drunk. You know, you guys have had too much uh, uh, wine. And he said, no, it's, it's early in the morning. This is what Joel the prophet talked about, and he goes back to Joel. See how it's connected together? It's not like just something new that God said, eh, that didn't work, let me try something new. He'd been planning this all along. Joel said, the day is coming, I'm going to pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters. They're going to prophesy dream visions and all the rest rest of that. So what happens on the day of Pentecost is just huge. You know, here's the point that the transition is made, and we're going to see what happens. The church now is formed by the Spirit. Acts 13, where it says the Holy Spirit said to Paul and Barnabas, you know, go to the ministry that, that I have assigned to you. And throughout the book of Acts, it's not about Peter it's not about Paul, it's not about Barnabas, it's not about any of the, the group. You know what it's about? It's about the Spirit of God. Now that the Spirit of God, here's 3,000, here's 5,000 that are converted, because the Spirit of God now is going to do what God sent him to do. And he's going to do it through us in many ways. So we're going to look at that. Uh, Mission accomplished. What is it? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And so think of it this way. Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, is at the control center. He's directing everything. The church is being built according to his oversight and direction. The Spirit is the feet on the ground. Remember, Jesus said, it's going to be good for you if I go away. Because if I don't go away, I can't send the Spirit. But when he went back and finished the work of redemption, he sent the Spirit. And now, think about this. I've had many people say, man, wouldn't it have been great to have been walking in Jerusalem and actually see Jesus talking and doing the miracles? Yeah. 
But you know what? Jesus was only in one spot at one time. You know what God does? He takes the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and he puts it inside each person, the indwelling of the Spirit. That's another three-week study we've got to look at. So uh, we've got our, our uh, task ahead of us. So we have the already, the Spirit's already been given, but not yet in its fullness. Boy, there is more to come. If you think the blackberry cobbler and ice cream is good, there's more coming. I'll let you imagine what that is. It's hard to beat the blackberry cobbler. Anyhow, I hope we have some for lunch. That's getting sounding good to me. Okay, I, what, I, what I really want to set out is what the Spirit does is the Spirit comes within and empowers us as the players in this drama to perform fittingly. We're here, we're not here to watch this drama. We're on stage. Now imagine if, uh, you know, I take John and say, okay, John, you come up here. And you're in front of all, guess what? He's got to say something and do something. It's easy for him to come and sit here and watch it. But it's altogether different if you're up here and you've got to say something and do something. And friends, listen, that's what God wants you to do. You are a player. You know, we use that in kind of a provocative way, but the fact is every one of you is a player in God's drama. You're on stage. You've got to say something, and you've got to do something. And let's talk about how God uses the Spirit to do that. For ministry, the gifts of the Spirit, preaching, and teaching, and ministration, and so forth. Where do they come from? Well, I just naturally have that. No, you don't. It's a gift of the Spirit. You know, you go to 1 Corinthians 12. That's another three or four week study. Okay, go to 1 Corinthians 12, where it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. He, did, uh, he uh, spreads them out severally as he wills. He determines what kind of gift. God gave me the gift of teaching and preaching. You know, and I've loved doing that for 50 years. I love it more now than when I started. You know, I, I'd love for our classes to go, you know, two or three hours so we really get into this and get your feedback. Uh, where does that come from? I'm not that way. God made me that way by the Spirit. And he gives each of you a gift. Every one of you has a gift to serve him. Maturity. we got to grow up. We have to learn. Remember what he said in John 17? You know, right now you can't handle all these things, but the Spirit, when he comes, he's going to teach you all these things because he's going to point to me. The Spirit of God is the one that wrote the Scripture, you know, through the people. He's the one that's with us to help us understand it. you you got no excuse to say, I can't understand what God's Word says. Yes, you can, because you've got the Spirit of God that's going to develop that maturity in you. How about holiness? You know, the, the life of Christ, that's the fruit of the Spirit. You know, that's again a 12-week series, okay? Uh, we're lining things up here. Lots of good things ahead. I sent out a, a thing this week because we're only going to be able to mention it. But I want you to see that. I remember, uh, uh, I'll take just a minute to share this. By nature, I am a competitor, uh, my goal is winning isn't the big thing, it's winning big that counts. You know, and, and so I'm so aggressive, you know, a debate, argue, man, love it. And I realized, you know what, I've won a lot of debates, but ruined a lot of friendships. And the fruit of the Spirit called gentleness 
is something that God began to weave in my heart. And I would never have made it, you know, in ministry if the Spirit of God hadn't begun to shape me. You know what the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all nine of those are not nine different fruits, nine different aspects of the fruit. It's a picture of Christ who displays love and joy, peace, and gentleness. There it is in Jesus Christ. And so he gives us the spirit so that the very character of Christ is being formed in us. How good is that? Uh, it gets better. For fellowship, walking in the spirit. There, there is a relationship. The spirit is a friend that we develop a relationship. And the spirit in, in Galatians 5, it talks about keeping in step with the spirit, walking with the spirit. There, for service, the filling of the spirit. You know, he uh, and Pastor Logan preached on that uh, some months ago in Ephesians. You know, be filling yourselves with the spirit. You know, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be under that control, but be under control of the Holy Spirit of God. He's going to fill us for the ministry, for the service he's called us to. Correction. You ever feel that hammer? that's convicting you because something's wrong. You know who that is? That's the Spirit. Romans 8. You know, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you're going to live. Look at Romans 8. What a great passage of Scripture for protection. He's going to seal us. You know, I, I love 2 Corinthians you know, 1, where he talks about, you know, that he has sealed us. Nobody can take us away. Remember Jesus said, nobody can rip them out of my Father's hands. He's stronger than anyone else. How does he do that? He seals us with the Spirit of God. And I don't care all the evil in the world, all of the stuff that Satan, the evil one, does. He cannot undo what Jesus Christ has done. And that's why he says, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our principalities, power. And he goes on with the, with the list. So, let me say this. This is not automatic. When you receive the Spirit of God, it's not like automatically all these things happen. Because we can work against the Spirit. I'm going to talk about four things. Grieving the Spirit of God, Ephesians 4.30. Grieve not the Spirit of God. Uh, uh, get rid of the bitterness and so forth. Grieving the person. He is a person. You know what it's like when you miss your wife's anniversary? You know, uh, you don't get cobbler, you know, that week. Uh, you got to atone for that somehow. Friends, listen, the Spirit is there. He's the one that pours out God's love into our heart. And every time that we sin, we grieve the person of the Spirit of God. Not only that, we quench the Spirit. When he prompts us to do something, you know, to serve in some way or to address something in our First Thessalonians 5 quenching the Spirit of God, just throwing cold water on this fire that he's building within us. So you've got a responsibility, you know, that when you receive the Spirit, that's a gift that God gives to every believer. We get the Spirit of God fully, but we can grieve, and we can quench, and we can resist the Spirit of God. 
Uh, Acts 7 talks about that. We can insult the Spirit of God, Hebrews chapter 10, do despot to the Spirit of grace. And friends, let me tell you, when you do that, you're not hurting the Spirit. You know who you're hurting? You're hurting yourself. You know, it, it's just like abusing a spouse. That's not, you know, just a, a, an impact that it has on that person. It's on you and it's everybody else that's around you. And so God has given us the Savior to take away the guilt of our sin, and he's given us the Spirit to empower us now that we can live out this life in Jesus Christ. So we, we want to be careful that we're not in that, that negative mode. And so we talk about fellowship with the Spirit. This passage in 2 Corinthians 13, uh, uh, verse 14, it concludes the, the book of Corinthians, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I wish we had an hour to just talk about, ask you, share with us your sense of the fellowship of the Spirit. What do you know about the Spirit fellowshipping within you? John Owen, I've mentioned this before, wrote a book called, uh, uh, oh, what's the name of the book? Uh, the Triune God, what is it? Yeah, Communion with the Triune God. The section that he has in Communion with the Holy Spirit is worth its weight in gold. You know, the section on Christ is so long, you know, you can get lost in that, but the one on the Spirit of thinking, how do I develop a relationship with the Spirit? Remember in your family, the relationship you had with your grandmother, the relationship you had with your father, relationship you had with your mother, relationship you had with your brother or sister, they were all family. Were they all the same relationships? No. It's different with your grandfather, different with your mother. Same thing, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's a relationship we have with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. That needs to be nurtured. It needs to be developed. It's not like I, I remember reading the account of uh, uh, a pastor in Texas counseling a kind of a, 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 a rancher, pretty well-to-do rancher, and his wife came in, and they'd been married for 30 years. And uh, the pastor said, I, I don't get it. Everything seems to be fine. What's wrong? And she said, well, he doesn't love me anymore. And he said, well, that's not true, Gladys. I don't remember what her name was. I'm making that up. He says, that's not true, Gladys. 30 years ago when I married you, I told you I loved you. If that changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> now, how would you like to be in a relationship? 30 years ago, somebody said they loved you. Isn't that something you need to say again and again and again? And that's the way it is with the Holy Spirit. He's the one that pours out. He dumps God's love into our heart. This is the book, Communion with God. Uh, uh, get it, uh, it. It's worth its weight in gold. I've read it again and again. Let's talk about spirit-directed ministry. Uh, in Acts 13, I mentioned this earlier, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. And Acts 13 begins the rest of the book of Acts is about Paul's missionary journeys. You all know the first journey and the second journey. We've done probably uh, Sunday school classes on that. But I want you to notice something. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. 
You see how the Spirit is behind us? It's not just a strategy we develop. This is what the Spirit of God is doing. And Acts records the advance of the gospel through the direction and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You take the Holy Spirit out of it, boy, a lot of the things that happen are not going to happen. You know, what happened on the day of Pentecost, what happened, you know, uh, throughout as the Spirit of poured out, uh, it is absolutely foundational. So I, I want to conclude. I know we're going 100 miles an hour, but I've already outlined three years of things we've got to go back and, 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 and cover. But I, I want us to, to think about this not just in abstract terms, but in terms of well, here we are at Faith Community Church. Let's ask several questions. How well are we accomplishing the mission that God assigned to the church? That's an important question because when we stand before the Lord, he's not going to want to know, you know, how many seashells you collected along the seashore. You know, he's not going to want to know how many cars you own, like Jay Leno and, you know, some others. He's not going to want to know how many wristwatches, you know, that you have. He's going to want to know, did you do the mission? Did you make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them all the things that I commanded you? We have to give an account for that one day. Well, let me make it more personal. It's one thing to talk about we. How well are you doing in accomplishing that mission? How closely are you walking and being led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit to do what God called you to do? I, uh, I know I, I talked to Jordan some weeks ago and said, boy, my heart is evangelism. You know, I, I love to go out and, and share people. I wish I had that gift. That's not the gift that God's given me. And God has given him a gift, and he's given each one of you a gift. And the question is, are you using that? And so God's not going to evaluate me on the basis of that evangelistic fervor he is Jordan because he said, that, that's what God's called me to do. God's going to give me, call me account, what did I do in class today? Did I tell you the truth? Did I, was it just information that I gave you? Did it feel like it came from my heart? Boy, that's awesome when you think we're going to stand before God and give an account of how we've carried out the mission he's called us to. We have to ask another question. How well are ministry leaders accomplishing that mission? Our elders, our deacons, our small group leaders, our Sunday school teachers. Again, it's not one person. We have a whole bunch of people that are serving. How are we doing? How often do we pray for them? How, do we, how often do we send a note of encouragement to say thank you to the greeters that every morning, uh, in fact, I, I, I was talking to Joe this week and he said, you know, uh, they, uh, Joe and, and Liz uh, are going to be leaving us in the next month, not because there's a rapture or partial rapture, they're not taken up, but, but they're, they're, they're standing, Leavenworth will be over, they're heading back to, uh, uh, to North, uh, no, to West Virginia, and, uh, and we were talking about this very thing thing together and and wow it's it's powerful when you begin to think about you know ministry leaders 
serving and accomplishing. And, and one of the things that Joe said to me, when I leave, I want to send a, a letter and I want to thank every one of the greeters that every Sunday when you walk in, there's somebody opening the door, handing you a, a bulletin, smiling and, and, and greeting you. And you know what? It's not just Pastor Logan in the pulpit. It's the people in the nursery. It's the people teaching the Sunday school. It's the people doing the music. It's the people running the, you know, the audio. You know, we have it here and in the back. Listen, it doesn't take one person. It takes a whole congregation to serve. You know, and we need to be encouraging and praying for them. And my final question is this. Do we need more of the Spirit at Faith Community Church? Now, this is a trick question because the fact is you can't get more of the Spirit. When the Spirit indwells us, we get the whole package. And so you say, no, we don't need more. We have all that we can get. And I agree with that. But isn't there a sense in which we need to grow in our relationship and feel the presence of the Spirit? The first church that I pastored, a little rural church in Ohio, there was a, an older gentleman, uh, and uh, he was a farmer, very simple kind of guy, good guy. And uh, I asked him to pray uh, at the beginning of our Sunday morning service. And I'll never forget what he prayed. He prayed several things, and then he ended by saying, and Lord, do something that's not in the bulletin today. Wouldn't you like to see something? For God, do something that we didn't plan for. You know, that's what's so powerful about the book of Acts. It's like, man, this life just exploded because the Spirit of God has been poured out. But if we're grieving and quenching and resisting and insulting the Spirit of God, by that life, it just kind of freezes, it clogs. It's like in our, our house the last week, I've been unclogging drains, and I'm getting, you know, big balls of, of slimy stuff out of there, you know, and if, if that's not clear, the water's not going to drain through. And friends, if, if there's this kind of ball in your spirit, the power of the spirit is not going to come into you and flow out to you to other people. That's what God called us to do. God called us to be new covenant people, players that now have the Spirit of God constantly working so that we're able to live our lives for the glory of God. Now, you understand, friends, we talk about this whole drama of redemption. It's not something that you're a spectator that you're just sitting back and critiquing those who are up front, those who are serving, guess what? You're on stage. You've got a part to play. You have a role that's been assigned to you by God. You have the equipment that you need. Ever, God's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He's giving you the Spirit of God. You know, and I'd like us to just, uh, our, our time is gone, and just finish. Let me ask two or three of you to close us in prayer and just pray particularly about this for God to move. Uh, and, uh, and, and then, uh, not, not long prayers, we don't have a lot of time, but, but if two or three of you would just verbalize what's in your heart. You know, God, pour out your spirit. You know, do something that's not in the bulletin. Do something that's not in the, the plan that we have. 
we want to see the life of God just erupt and blossom. So let me ask a couple of you to pray for us, and then I'll conclude in prayer. Lord God, we come before you, and we just ask you, Lord, please help us to be more intentional about really getting to know your Holy Spirit that you placed in us. Help us to be very attentive to his leading. Mm-hmm. Amen. Help us to ask of him to put people in front of us that may not know you. Mm. That we may share with them the hope that we have inside us. That they too may be granted repentance for their sins, Father. I just lift that up to you, and I thank you for all you do in my life. Amen. Amen. I can uh, echo that prayer, Father, but to continue um, in prayer with um, requesting that we are obedient to those opportunities, Father, that you you reveal to us in times when we are mature in the Spirit, we are walking in a holiness, Father, that when people see that, they, they, they think it's strange.